Well, it's story time. You know what that is. For you who are new to us today, each week we have a storyteller, and it's somebody from our congregation who shares a story with us from their life, and it can be just something that happened to them. It can be spiritual. It can be anything, just a story. And it gives us an opportunity to connect and get to know somebody on a different level than what we do when we're just here on Sunday mornings or in Sunday school together. So this morning, I'm going to call up Spencer Luce. He is our storyteller today. And um, yay, Spencer. So, Spencer, you're going to share with us uh, a really cool story, right? Oh, always. Okay, there you go. <laughs> Thank you, Pastor Julie. All right, so as you mentioned, my name is Spencer Luce. Um, I'm honored to be a member of this church since I was in first grade, and I've lived on Mercer Island uh, my whole life, so I've gotten to know uh, this church family quite well over my childhood and teenage years. Uh, today, I'd like to share with you a story uh, from my life that happened a couple years ago, and I realized that this story has a close resemblance to Acts 27 and 28 in the Bible. And the reason I say this is because Paul, in Acts 27, was being persecuted and on a ship, and he was being imprisoned, uh, and he didn't want to be on this boat. See, he had this feeling before this boat left, and he told the captain, Captain, this boat is going down. And he told him this when they were on dry land. And if you just think about it, this ship captain is a professional. He's paid to do this. He has a group of men, uh, his sailors, and that is what they do for a living. And he is having a prisoner tell him that this boat is going to sink. This boat is going down. Paul didn't want to be on this boat. And later, after they were sailing, they were past the coast of Italy near an island called Malta. And when they got to Malta, the seas changed. The seas were rough. The waves were crashing against the side of the boat, and the boat started to fall apart. The boat was going down. But Paul had this feeling, and he said that all 276 aboard, there would be no loss of life. But the boat, it was going down. And so for me, I can relate this to my life, and I feel that an instance in my, going into my sophomore year of high school playing football has a close resemblance to this. See, in football, my position is a long snapper. And for those of you who don't know what that is, it is my job to snap the ball on punts and field goals. So that ends up being about eight to ten plays a game. That's all I do. And I think it's the best. I, I love it. My coaches see my size, and they, they want to play me at offensive line. So when I was going into my sophomore year on August 16th, I was in an offensive line walkthrough drill. And I was playing right guard, and the, the right tackle next to me, got tripped up, and he fell on my right leg, pushing it in to the left, and I fell to the right. I was in a ton of pain, uh, and after uh, rehab and surgery on my torn medial patellar femoral ligament, I missed six games and ended up playing the last three games of the season. But what I learned from this is this was a boat I didn't want to be on. This was a shipwreck in my life that I didn't have planned for myself. I never would have wanted this to happen or asked for it to happen. It just happened. And looking back on it, I can think God did that. Because the thing is, the statistic is 84% of Division I football players are identified by their sophomore year of high school. And all I wanted to do was play college football. So at this point, the numbers were against me. But looking back on it now, after receiving 
an offer to the greatest college in the world, Azusa Pacific University. <laughs> I am very happy that this happened. And I, you know, looking, looking back on it now, I can say that I can thank God through the shipwreck because I do believe that God is perfect in all of his ways. I do believe that God has a per perfect preordestined plan for me that is perfect in all of his ways and I believe that I was created in his image. And because of this, I can thank God during a shipwreck, during a storm, during when I'm on a boat that I don't wanna be on, when I'm on a boat that I know is gonna go down, I can thank God during these times. Amen. And there's one more thing I wanna share for you. That is through Acts 27. And this last part comes from Acts 28. See, when, they, when this boat goes down, they're swimming. And they're on the life boats, and they're just trying to get to the nearest piece of land that they can get. So they arrive on this island called Malta. And Malta is, is inhabited by a group of indigenous people. It's inhabited by a group of natives. And when, he get, when Paul gets on the island, he is bit by a snake. And the natives have seen this snake bite before, but they, when they see it, they think Paul's going to die. Because Paul his day just got a whole lot worse. His rock bottom got a basement. He thought that his day couldn't get any worse after the ship was going down, after he already said it was gonna go down. But then he gets bit by a snake once he gets onto the island. So this happened to me right when I think, okay, I'm hurt. But then I have to find out I got surgery afterwards. Right when I think I might be able to come back in like a week. No, it just, got, it just kept getting worse. But what I learned is Paul thinks he's going to die because that's what the natives are telling him. And this snake is hanging off him, but he does not die. And the reason he does not die is because he may be broken on the outside. He may be bitten on the outside. A snake may be latched onto him, but he will not die because what is on the inside of him. It's the same thing that happened to me. I may be hurt on the outside, but I know what is on the inside of me. That because I've accepted God in my life, that is the strongest thing. And that can overcome anything, any injury it happens to me. Thank you for listening to my story. Today, this morning, our scripture reading is from the book of Acts. Please follow along in your Bible or use the screens provided. I'll be reading the select verses from Acts chapters 1 and 2 in the New International Version. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. But you will receive, my, you are, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. When the day of the Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, there, there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard the sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? 
And then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phargia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in their own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? The word of the Lord. Thank you, Spencer. I appreciate that. My name is Bud Palmberg, and one of the joys I have of being a pastor for so many years is seeing what God has done in and through the lives of many. And I, I think I want to acknowledge Andy Ekblad is here, and Mary. Andy was one of my confirmation students. He has been for 21 years pastor of First Presbyterian Church in Fairbanks, Alaska, and I am really praising God for what he has accomplished through Andy. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. I never knew the man to own an uncertainty. In fact, everyone in town referred to him as absolutely Sands. His name was George Sands. He was having an enthusiastic conversation with Lee Steele, who was the town Rexall druggist and a well-known disbeliever, an atheist. Absolutely Sands and Lee Steele covered the impact of the fierce Nebraska wind, the heat on people, prices, and production, the quality of the coffee at the White Owl Diner. You could hear most of Absolutely's end of the conversation, but not much of Lee Steele's, because Absolutely even whispered at a volume. And his volume was powered by conviction. Now, it became obvious, as those of us that were listening, that Lee Steele really wanted to get out of that hot Nebraska sun and get into the cool of his drugstore. And finally, he must have said something about that because absolutely replied, absolutely, my friend Lee, but before you go, we have talked about absolutely everything except what is the most absolutely important of all? I just absolutely have to tell you about my Lord Jesus. As a high school student standing in the cool shadows of my dad's auto supply parts store, I remembered the scripture from our family's morning devotions from Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses. That old retired farmer, standing in the fierce Nebraska sunshine, was 
part of that promise of our Lord. Absolutely. Three weeks ago, the Church celebrated Pentecost. Now there are many who would ask, what was that? I'd remind you that Jesus told His disciples to remain in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit came upon them. And when that would happen, they would receive power. Power to be what? Power to do what? To be His witnesses. In Jerusalem, where they were waiting, and in Judea and Samaria, to the end of the earth. Well, the disciples waited. Acts chapter 2, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were waiting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them, and all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Wow! What a church service that was! The sound of roaring wind, the flickering flames on their heads, speech they'd never learned. Man, how cool was that! And talk about power! But power to be what? Fire-branded? Linguistically gifted? Surrounded by a roaring wind? No, the power to be Christ's witnesses. And they were. Jerusalem was crowded that day. They had come from all over the place. Verses eleven to uh, verses eight to eleven, which Spencer read with very good reading. They came from all over. When my wife and I were serving in Switzerland, she arranged on the day of Pentecost celebration that we had in that church to have many of the members of the congregation who came from 27 different countries bring the Bible in their own language and at the reading of Scripture, and it got to that part where the description of all of these different people were, they all were standing up and starting to read that Scripture in their own language. What a cacophony of sound. What a babble of voices giving me the impression and the experience that must have been that of those witnesses on the day of Pentecost in Jerusalem. When the crowd, which was attracted, got to the place where the disciples were, the place of the roaring wind and all the rest, they heard this bunch of uneducated, mostly bumpkins from Galilee, declaring the wonders of God in their own languages. The special effects, the roaring sound, the fire, the multiple tongues were all to enable them to be His witnesses. They had a purpose. They were not an end in themselves. And the Bible reports that the response of their witness was terrific. 3,000 believers were added to the church on that day. Verse 41. Verse 47 reports, And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. 
Well, the believers witnessed with such power and effect that persecution began to grow and grow and became really in earnest. The first one to die by being stoned for his testimony was one of the deacons of that early church named Stephen. Until Stephen was killed, the church existed only in Jerusalem. But Jesus had told them that they were to receive power and be his witnesses in Jerusalem, which they were. But he had also said, and Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the world. But they were having such great fellowship with their own kind of people that they hated to break up the fellowship and reach out to other people in other provinces and for heaven's sake, Samaritans too? Some churches today suffer from the same disease that early church suffered. I refer to it as fellowship inflammation. If you look at Acts chapter 1, or chapter 8, verse 1, the very day that Stephen was killed, the persecution became so great that the disciples ran for their lives. Verse 1 of chapter 8 also tells us where they ran. Judea and Samaria. Verse 1 also tells us who ran for their lives. All except the apostles. The best trained, the ones who had walked with Jesus for three years, the ones who were the most natural leaders, did not go. It was the marginally trained, the very recent believers who became the scattered ones. And the power of the Holy Spirit enabled them to be witnesses, not refugees. Those who had been scattered, everyone but the apostles, preached the word wherever they went. This is still as our Lord intends the church. Every believer, every one of you who have a commitment to Jesus Christ are called commissioned and empowered to be his witnesses. His body, the church, has always been a lay movement, not hiring a professional to do it all, but to train and inspire and lead the rest of you to get with it. Someone has described the church as like a professional football team, 22 Men desperately in need of rest, observed by thousands desperately in need of exercise. <laughs> Altogether true of many churches. Now, the scattered ones did not make formal presentations, they gossiped the gospel. They were like absolutely sands. During a rapid growth period in this church, I conducted an informal survey among people who came to this church, asking them, what was it that attracted you to this church the first time, and why did you come back? 
I thought it was probably the quality of the preaching or something like that. <laughs> but I found out that over 80% of the people who came to this church and stayed had been attracted by a neighbor or a fellow employee or somebody from their club. The preacher was kind of incidental. I was a little upset at that first, but upon reflection, I praise God for that. That is the church being the church. The early disciples who were scattered all over the place had so little. They didn't have in a New Testament. They didn't have trained seminary graduates. They didn't have Christian literature. They didn't have buildings or youth programs or ministry or civil liberties. All they had was power. The power of the Holy Spirit to enable them to bear witness to the reality of their own life. Was what they did have enough? Absolutely. Webster defines a witness as one who beholds or otherwise has personal knowledge of to give or be evidence of. That band of fugitive believers move boldly into the common life of the Roman Empire, and they turned it right side up. They must have been really amateurs. From a sophisticated modern perspective, they really must have been amateurs. Paul writes about one group in Corinth as not many wise by human standards, not many were influential, not many were of noble birth, but they had the power, the power of the Holy Spirit to be his witnesses. And they were amazingly effective. Elton Trueblood wrote in one of his books, evangelism occurs when people are so enkindled by contact with the central fire of Christ that they in turn set others on fire. The only adequate evidence that anything is on fire is the pragmatic evidence that other fires can be started by it. Church family, I want to encourage all of us with the encouragement of 1 Peter, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience. Yesterday afternoon, we had the memorial service for our longtime church member, George Sands. George Sands. George Haas. George Haas was absolutely one who gossiped the gospel. He found it almost impossible to have a conversation. He would go in McDonald's, and in think, seeing somebody sitting by themselves, he would walk over to them and said, Are you a Christian? Why don't you come and join our group? Even the most faint-hearted among us should be celebrating the gift of the Holy Spirit. And that was given to us, he was given to us, in order that we might have the power to be 
his witnesses in the common pathways of life. John White said, witnessing is just being honest to what God has made you in your speech and in your day-to-day behavior. If you are even partially honest in a conversation with an unbeliever, you will find it extremely difficult to avoid talking about Christian things. It's almost impossible not to witness. Shortly after I read this, I was attending a midwinter conference in the Midwest. The plane was late. My luggage was late. Everything was late. I finally got to the motel about 1 o'clock in the morning, and I was exhausted. And as I was checking in, the young lady who was checking me in, who had obviously just come on duty, because she was so perky, and I was so pooped. She looked across at me and saw a fish symbol on my lapel. And she said, oh, you're a Pisces. (laughs) I'm a what? You're a Pisces. What are you talking about? The fish, the fish. And she points to my jacket. Oh, no, that, that's, that's not because I'm Pisces. I'm not, I don't think I even am a Pisces. But that's something else. Oh, yeah, what? It's 1 o'clock in the morning. I'm pooped. <laughs> I said, you know, it's a religious thing thought that would turn it off. (laughs) It did not. She said, what? Tell me about that. What's the fish? I don't understand that. And I said, what time do you come on work? She said, one o'clock. I just got here a little bit ago. I said, if you will give me my room key and let me go to my room and go to bed, I will meet you tomorrow shortly after 1 o'clock, and I'll explain all about it. Oh, okay. She gave me my key. I went to my room. I tried to go to sleep. The next morning at breakfast, I was walking with some of my fellow pastors to the restaurant part of the motel, and she was still on duty. It's about 7 o'clock. And she said, don't forget, we have a date right after 1 o'clock tomorrow morning. (laughs) Now I had all the explanations to make to... All of of these jealous pastors. (laughs) You see, the effective outreach of the early believers was not because they were so attractive or so courageous or so well-informed or so skilled in evangelism. It was not the beauty of what the Bible calls earthen vessels. It was the power of the Holy Spirit Who filled those earthen vessels? 
And the Holy Spirit is the joyous and power-filled possession of every one of us who is a believer. Have you seriously considered the fact that our Lord has placed you in the family and the neighborhood and the place of employment and even the social club because that's where he wants his witness. Some of you have access to places that I wouldn't be welcomed at all. In fact, I would not be allowed to enter at all. But you're there on the inside, filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, able to bear witness right there. How do you bear witness? Well, you simply tell your story. Some of us are so intimidated that we do not know all the theology. We can be asked questions we can't answer. You bet you can. I've got a lifetime of experience of being asked questions I couldn't answer. So what do you do? You tell your story. Your story. You bear witness. Once I was blind, now I see, and this is how it happened. They can't argue with your experience. They can't debate you and defeat you in that debate because you're telling your story. Why? Because you feel guilty and have to? No, because the Holy Spirit has empowered you and you are called to be his witnesses. We should all pray that we know and experience the Holy Spirit's power in us, enabling us to be what we are. So then, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. What an honor. Father in heaven, what we have thought about and talked about in the last few minutes, if it's of you, if it honors you, and if it equips us to be your witnesses, burn it into our consciousness. The rest of it, just with your grace, blow away. Amen.